All right. Hey, real quick, where are my Black Friday shoppers at? And where are all the people in the room who are judging those people? I'm just kidding. I actually, we did Black Friday shopping this year, and, uh, and we, I went Black Friday shopping this year uh, on Thursday night, which I still don't fully understand that. And the only thing that could really get me out into a Black Friday shopping thing, do you know what, anybody want to guess? Apple products. That's the only thing. And so I showed up at Walmart to get this incredible deal, and, uh, and I didn't end up getting the deal, but I still ended up upgrading and paying more money. So I think that's what Black Friday is all about. Uh, so we're pretty excited about that, but I do have a new iPhone. <laughs> so anyway, so excited about that. Hey, today uh, we're wrapping up our series called Questions That Jesus Asked. And, uh, and I am so excited for you because you're going to get to hear from one of my favorite speakers. Uh, and her name is Betty Dickinson. Uh, Betty actually comes to us from downstate and uh, she was a part of Kenyon's community uh, for a while. I'll, uh, I'll let her tell you a little bit more of her story. Um, but she is really a part of our family. Uh, our families went out to eat about a month and a half ago, I guess. And we were talking and I was like, I would love for you to come speak. And, uh, and so she said, yes. Uh, and so she's here today, and she's an incredible speaker. She does such a great job. And uh, so I'm excited for you to be able to hear. But before I actually bring her up, actually, why don't you go ahead and come up? Let's go ahead and do it. Come on up. You guys give it up for Betty as she comes up. We're so excited to have you. So I figured I asked her for a couple of, like, random facts. So I'm throwing you off your game because I didn't tell you this. So I asked her for a couple of random facts. And here's what she came up with, which I was pretty excited about. She said that she used to do water polo back in the day. Do we have anybody else who's done water polo? No, because it's an Olympic sport, right? Did you actually do it in the... No? no. Okay. That's all right. Uh, water polo. My, my favorite, though, is do we have any, like, Disney fans out there? Any Disney fans? Like, you love Disney? Oh, that's right. Any Aladdin fans? All right. So she was in a... Your big, like, premiere moment kind of thing is she starred in and starred in the in the Aladdin play as who? Abu. Abu, right. So that's pretty great. So Betty, I'm gonna turn it over to you. One more time, give it up for Betty Dickinson. Thanks, Patrick. Yep. I do have pictures to prove it and maybe one day I will bring them in and, and show them to you, but they're a little embarrassing. But my husband and I, as Patrick said, we just recently moved up here at the end of August. This is my son, our son, Isaiah. He's a happy-go-lucky little guy and is probably more extroverted than both of us combined. Uh, and this is my husband, Stephen, <clears throat> and we are expecting this little one in February. And it's just a joy to be up here and actually know that there's a, there was a Kensington campus in Traverse City because in many ways, my heart is sort of connected to Kensington. It feels like my roots. It feels like coming home because just like the story that we heard from Emily earlier, that was my story. When I was 11 years old, I did not grow up in a Christian home. We didn't go to church. And I remember laying in my bed, looking at my sister's bunk above me and wondering, is there a God? And I I remember asking these really existential questions for an 11-year-old, like, what's the meaning of life? And is this really real? Am I really here? And I began to pray to God and asking him to show himself to me because I didn't know who he was. And thanks be to Kensington and the people at Kensington with their vision and mission to reach everyone that my neighbors invited my sisters and I to church. And this is me as an 11-year-old. And so if you can picture this scared, young 11-year-old girl, my neighbors invited me. And I remember pulling up in my neighbor's van to the old Troy High School building, which was the first place that the Troy campus was hosted at. And this was before they had a building. And I remember stepping out of the car and looking at the high school building, petrified, wondering, 
I have no idea about God. I have no idea about the Bible. I'm just going to feel totally out of place. And I was frightened. But then once I got into the service and Steve Andrews was preaching, he really preached in a way that helped me connect with who God was. And I began to find some of these deep hunger and ache and longing and questions being answered by God. And it wasn't long after that that I decided to follow Jesus and I've been following him since then. And so in many ways, even being, being up here and being able to speak to you all is because of what Kensington has done in my life. And I'm so thankful for this place. And <clears throat> as I said, I've been following Jesus and stepped into full-time ministry with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It's a ministry to college students, and my job with InterVarsity is to really create resources and opportunities to help people go deeper with God on their spiritual journey. And one of the things that I've been working on recently is a series of paintings for Advent called A Pregnant Pause. Yes, I am pregnant. And what was really awesome about creating this series is that Just as soon as I started working on it, it was like right around that time I got pregnant. And so reflecting on anticipating Christ's birth as a pregnant woman has had a very different feel and look to it this year as I anticipate Christmas. And so I did this series of paintings as well as a a series of devotionals for Advent. And I wanted to share that with all of you as my new Kensington family. You can see the paintings in the lobby, but you can also sign up in the lobby if you want to receive this devotional. There's one per each week of Advent that would go into your inbox. So that's my gift to you, and thanks. And <clears throat> But today, we're, as Patrick said, we're getting into the question of why worry? And in order to get into that, I want us to watch this. This is Casey. Life is wonderful, isn't it, Casey? Good job. Marriage is solid with splashes of romance. A positive report from the doctor regarding your annual physical. And the kids seem well-adjusted and doing well in school. Breathe it in, Casey. You're doing great. That's probably a text message from one of the kids telling you about another amazing test score. (laughs) Oh, no, it's a group text from your boss. Hmm. Emergency meeting at work Monday morning. Well, isn't that interesting? I wonder what that's all about. I'm sure it's nothing. Or is it? Bank overdraft? Well, how did that happen? Didn't you get paid yesterday? Oh, no. Did your annual insurance premium come out today? If that's the case, how are you going to be able to pay for your hair appointment? Everyone will start to see that grave and trying to hide? Oh, boy. Or, or no, m- maybe, maybe it's a bank error. Nah, yeah, wishful thinking on that. Facebook notification. Go ahead, take a look. Aw, isn't that sweet? Your daughter just got asked to homecoming by... Well, who's that kid? Huh, have you ever seen him before? Wait, wait, is that a spider web tattoo on his neck? Hold on, hold on. Is that that Douglas kid? Wasn't he just expelled for having some illegal stuff at school? And she said yes? Oh, boy. I mean, what else has she said yes to? No, no, no. Don't go there, Casey. Come on, come on. Hold it together. You're fine. 
It's Austin from work. Oh, he's concerned for the meeting Monday as well. Ooh, a rumor about a merge? That can't be good. Oh, wait, didn't your boss avoid making eye contact with you the other day? You know, if it's a merge, you could lose your job. And if you lose your job, you could lose your house. And if you lose your house, no, no, it's okay. Take a deep breath, Casey. Take a deep breath. Should you? I, I don't know. Oh, good, it's your husband. <laughs> $1,500 in car repairs? It was supposed to be a simple oil change. What the heck? What's a camshaft anyway? Oh, man, what are you gonna do with being overdrawn and all? Oh, I, I know what to do. Let's visit your happy place. All right, Casey, close your eyes. Take a deep breath. ...and envision yourself on the beaches of Maui. Happy place isn't working, is it? Oh, boy. Did you... did you feel that? Was that a pain in your chest? Does your left arm feel a little weird? Your vision, does it seem to be a tad out of focus? Your head itches. Could that be head lice? No, come on, come on, get it together, Casey. You're fine, come on, you're fine. Aren't you? Please, let it be good news. Oh, good, it's your mother. Oh, no. This is bad. Really bad. Your parents are coming to stay with you for a month? Oh, all the criticism about your parenting, too much time at work and not enough time at home, the never-ending comparison to your sister. Oh, and if you lose your house, you'll have to move in with them. This is Casey. Life is wonderful, isn't it? Job insecurity, car problems, potential health issues, wayward teenage daughter, parents visiting. Breathe it in, Casey. You're doing great. How many of you felt your stress level increasing just as you watched that? Yeah, I know I did. And it's amazing because it, I think it just shows us how quickly worry can spring upon us, right? We just get one text message or one Facebook notification and it's over. We're totally unglued at the situation. And we live in a time of incredible fear and anxiety, don't we? You just turn on the news and you can feel your blood pressure start to rise. And USA Today did some research on what Americans tend to worry about, what we tend to fear most, what stresses us out. And here were some of the things that they said. They said at the top of the list were some global issues. So when we look at the world around us, we tend to get pretty fearful at the state of things sometimes. Things like fears of, of terrorist attacks or corrupt government officials or Medicare or how things are going to play out in natural disasters as we saw a lot of this fall. And in addition to that were finances. So we tend to worry about the crippling student loan debt that we happen to have or 
whether or not we're going to be able to save up enough for retirement or whether or not we're going to be able to provide for our family or what if we lost our job, what would happen then? We can worry about all kinds of things as it regards to money. And also, we tend to worry about our health. So when we think about our health or the health of those that we love, we worry about whether or not someone in our lives could get sick and die or what would happen if we got sick and we lost our job and how would we be able to handle everything and manage our lives. We worry about also many relationships. And so as a, as a young mom, I worry about my son and whether or not I'm getting it right as a parent. And we can worry about dating relationships and whether or not I'm going to find the right person or am I ever going to get married and worry about, did I wear the right outfit for that first date? How many of you went through several outfits picking out clothes for your first date? Yeah. So we can worry about all kinds of things in our world, but what about you? When you came in today, what were you worrying about? What keeps you up at night? What stresses you out the most? Because Jesus has some really interesting things to say about worry. There's a book by the name of a guy named Matthew who wrote about Jesus in his life. And he helps us to get at the, at the heart of really what's behind our worry. Because I think what we'll see in this passage is Jesus seems to show us that worry is really a symptom of something deeper going on. It's a symptom of something below the surface. Let's see what he says in Matthew 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is an interesting statement. Jesus begins this discourse about worry, talking about two different masters. And then he makes an interesting turn. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Interesting. Jesus is making this comparison between these two masters and what we worry about. And I think Jesus is showing us, actually, that what we worry about shows us who our master is. What we worry about shows us who our master is. Now, the term for serve as a master in this passage really actually means to be a slave, to assign all property ownership rights of yourself to something or someone. And to worry means to be pulled apart, to be divided, to be distracted and pulled apart in a variety of different directions. Now, have you ever found yourself in a place where you were so stressed out or so worried or so fearful that it was like you couldn't even control your own thoughts or you couldn't even control your own actions? Maybe this is an indicator that you're being mastered by what you worry about. And just to give you an indication of what this can look like, I want to tell you one of my worry stories And as I mentioned recently, we moved up to Traverse City, and we've been living with my mother-in-law and father-in-law, who have graciously hosted us for the last few months. And one of the things that we tend to do on a Saturday is our whole family gets together, and we stay over the night, stay the night at my husband's family's house. And this is a, a picture of us. 
So this whole motley crew of us stays over the night. And for me, as someone who grew up in a family who really loves food, what I love to do is to serve my family with cooking. And so I thought, wouldn't it be a great idea to cook up some pumpkin pancakes and the night before Sunday morning, people can kind of get up and cook them at their leisure. And my husband and I get up a little bit later than everybody else in the family. And so they can just make their own pumpkin pancakes. And I thought, this is great. It's fall. Everybody loves pumpkin. It's going to be awesome. And Sunday morning comes around and I'm carting my toddler up the stairs pregnant. And I'm out of breath because I have no lung capacity because I'm pregnant. And I get up to the stairs and my sister-in-law says, yeah, you might not want to eat these pumpkin pancakes. I think something's wrong with the batter. They're not cooking all the way through. And a, a few people had tried the pumpkin pancakes, and they're like, yeah, I don't know. And immediately, my whole body just went into panic. And I went into this stress mode of like, I have to fix these pumpkin pancakes. And so I grabbed the batter, and I pour in milk and flour and milk and flour and try it out and milk and flour and turn it out. Meanwhile, my son is whining and I, because he's hungry and I'm hungry because I'm pregnant and I'm always hungry. And there's just this disaster of a situation in my mind where I'm having to fix this and I couldn't fix it. And we're running late to church and I'm barking orders at my husband and we're running out the door and we get into the car. And my husband's like, are you okay? And I was like, you know, maybe... Maybe my stress is a little disproportionate to the actual situation. Maybe, maybe just maybe, there's something deeper going on here. And I had to do some inward thinking and wondering, like, what was really going on with these pumpkin pancakes? And as the Holy Spirit tends to do, reminded me yet again of what my master is, which is the need to be successful. So I want to be successful at everything, whether it's pumpkin pancakes or managing my to-do list. And I measure my life based on how efficient and how effective and how productive I am. And then if I can't do it, I have this fear of failure, which masters me. I'm mastered by the need to be successful. And it could come out in these really interesting ways with fear and anxiety and stress about a little thing like pumpkin pancakes. And David Benner wrote this book called Surrender to Love. And what he talks about is that we were created to be mastered by God. And when we're mastered by God, it actually leads to a place of joy and freedom and abundance when we serve him. But when we allow ourselves to be mastered by anything less, it leads to frustration and disappointment and essentially bondage. And what's interesting when we worry is that we think that we're controlling the situation by our worry or our stress or jumping into action like I talked about in that story. But what ends up happening is that we end up being the one controlled and mastered by our worry. And Jesus in this passage is wanting something better for us. He says, is not life more than food and clothes. Is not life more than this? Is not life more than pumpkin pancakes, for crying out loud? Really, when we get down to the bottom of what we worry about, it distracts us from what is most important. All of a sudden, pumpkin pancakes became the thing, and not actually my family or loving or truly serving them. And Jesus is wanting to take us a step further to see what the impact is when we worry and when we're mastered by worry, we tend to be controlled by our thoughts, 
by fear. It has a negative impact even on our bodies, where physiological research has shown long, prolonged stress and worry impacts things like our immune system. We're impacted by our sleep. Our uh, hypertension can arise, even heart attacks, and all of these things. And I think, again, God wants something more for us. But why do we let ourselves be mastered by what we worry about if it leads to these really destructive places? And again, I think Jesus takes us a step deeper and shows us later in Matthew 6 what's really behind our worry, what's really going on. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus is making these really interesting statements about birds and grass. But what's really going on here? I want to highlight a couple of the highlighted or repeated words that Jesus uses and phrases to get a sense of what he's really saying. He says, look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? See how the flowers of the field grow. God clothes the grass. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus is inviting us to see something maybe different than what we see on the surface. And to be honest, the original hearers of this really did have some serious concern about food and clothes. They did not have full pantries like many of us do of food, and they did not have walk-in closets full of clothes as some of us have. When they looked at their lives, there was some scarcity when it came to food and clothing. They were often on the brink of poverty. And so when they looked at their lives, it looked a little bit more like this, like an empty bowl in fear of what would happen tomorrow if they didn't get food or clothing. And Jesus is saying something different. He says, look at the birds, see the grass. He wants them to see what life is actually like when God is our master. That he says, I am a good father who desires your life to be flourishing. My desire for you is abundant provision, that I value even such things as small as birds and grass, and I provide for them in abundance. Do you not know that I also would provide for you, you of little faith? He says, don't you know that you are the pinnacle of my creation, that you were created in my image? And so, of course, if I'm going to provide for the birds and the grass, I would also provide in abundance for you. But the problem is, sometimes what we see on the surface determines what we believe. When we look at our lives as empty... We can believe something different about God. 
You see, when we worry, we let what we see determine what we believe. Maybe for you, you look at your situation similarly like this, that you look at an empty bank account or you see an empty relationship or you see an empty house or an empty future of what if I never get to? What if I don't? What if I can't? Maybe some of you may see an empty womb and wondering, am I ever going to get pregnant? Or am I ever going to get married? Or am I ever going to get what I need right now in life? And when all we see is this, we can tend to believe that maybe, just maybe, God isn't really a good master. And so I need to control my situation or something else needs to be my master because they're more dependable than God. Maybe in the midst of the failing health of a loved one, maybe God doesn't really care for me or my family. And so I have to control the situation and we have to worry about all of these medical procedures and everything that we have to do to make perfect to make sure they're okay. Maybe, just maybe, when I look at my bank statement, I believe that actually maybe God is punishing me or maybe that he doesn't truly love me. When we see our lives like this, we can worry and believe that maybe God is either unwilling, that he doesn't truly love us, or maybe that he's not capable of meeting our needs and helping us in the time of crisis where our deepest fear grows. But what if, despite our present circumstances and what we see on the surface, what if we let what we believe determine what we see? What if we let what we believe determine what we see? What if we truly believed that God really was a good master, and so our lives looked a little bit more like this, an overflowing sense of abundance and goodness Because he is a good master who cares for us, who cares for even such small things as birds and grass. What if, what if my life looked like this, whether or not I see it on the surface, that I could trust that this is who God is? Now, we can't talk about abundance without talking about Thanksgiving, right? So I have to say, as I mentioned, that my family is uh, really into food. And I would say, I would even go so far to say that it's a love language in my family. And so in my family of origin, Thanksgiving is a pretty big deal. And my mom will go above and beyond days in advance to prepare for this meal because she loves her family. And this is one of the ways that she expresses her love to her family. And so days ahead of time, she'll chop up fresh bread and let it stale and she'll turn it over every, every so often for the stuffing. And she will make pumpkin pie from fresh pumpkins and she'll bake them in the oven and put them into the pie and she'll set out fresh china or fresh flowers and the best china there will be appetizers and there will be all kinds of dishes where you can hardly even fit them on the table and it's this amazing feast and everyone in the family knows that this is what thanksgiving is going to be like when we come to my mom's house and i don't ever question when it comes to thanksgiving whether or not i'm going to leave the table hungry Or whether or not I'm going to taste a good meal. Why? Because I know who my mom is. 
and I know what she's capable of. I know that she's an amazing cook and that she desires every year to provide the richest of fare. Jesus is saying, when we worry, it's as though we show up to my mom's house for Thanksgiving and walk in the door going, man, wonder whether or not I'm going to get anything to eat. I wonder whether or not this is going to be any good. That's kind of offensive. It would be very offensive to my mom if I were to say that. Because, like, are you, are you kidding me? Is that, are you ridiculous? Of course I'm going to provide this amazing meal. This is just how I love you. This is, this is who I am. And God is saying, do you not know that in your life, whether or not you see an empty or a full bowl... Behind the scenes, I am preparing the richest affair for you. I am providing the richest meal in life for you because I love you, because I value you, and I treasure you, and I want the best for you. Do you not know that you have more than enough because you have me in abundance and that I am a good master who loves you unconditionally? the best for you. Now I know for some of you, this may be hard because you're thinking, well, that's all fine and good, Betty, but my life has looked like this for a really long time. And quite honestly, there have been places that I have been worried and what I was afraid of actually happened. Maybe I did lose that job. Or maybe you did lose that relationship. Or maybe you lost something very critical that you had been fearful about. Where is God then? And I have to say, I can't answer that question for you. That's something that you're going to have to take up with him. But what I will say is that, is it possible that while you hunger and you wait and you long in angst, God really is whipping up this meal behind the scenes that you don't see? And that maybe, just maybe, because he's a good God, you can look into this reality and see this one because God doesn't always provide in the way that we expect him to. And he doesn't always provide in the same timing that we want him to, unfortunately. But I can say from experience that it's still good and that whether we get to experience this abundance in this life or in the life to come, it's coming, surely. We can look at our lives with hope and expectancy and anticipation for what God is going to do because we know and we trust that this is who he is and this is what he is about. God is a good master. And maybe there are some of you here who are like, I don't know if I can buy this, Betty. I'm not sure that God really is that. And that's okay. But I want to ask you this. If you are someone who worries, what are you going to do about that? You have to put your trust somewhere. I want to tell you from experience that God is just waiting. He's waiting to show you this kind of reality because he really does love you and he sees the best for you. He has the richest affair prepared whether you see it or not. So can we believe And can we allow our belief to determine what we see? Why is this so important to Jesus in this passage? Why is it so critical that 
the hearers of this text get it? Because I think what Jesus says is that what we see determines what we seek. That what we see determines what we seek. See, when you see an empty bowl in your life, all you can think about is your lack. The what ifs and will I ever and can I ever get. And so you become preoccupied with getting. And I love this verse, this translation by Eugene Peterson when he talks about worry. He talks about it like, don't be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. When we worry, we are so preoccupied with getting. But Jesus is saying, I want to provide for you in abundance. And I want to go back to the fuller translation of this. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And pagans essentially just means those who don't believe in God. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, these, these words, run after and to seek, it's actually the same word in the Greek. And so it literally means to seek after with reckless abandon, to devote your whole focus and attention on gaining this thing. And Jesus, just like at the start of the passage, when we have to choose between two masters, God or something else, what we worry about, he's also saying you have to choose what you're going to seek. You can either seek and run after the things that you worry about, or you can seek after me and my kingdom and my righteousness. And as I said, when we look and we see our lives like this, we're just consumed with getting. We become preoccupied. Our relationships become self-focused. We become greedy because we're not going to have enough. And so we cling to what we have out of fear. And so we seek after all of these things to fill our bowls, and we're preoccupied with them. But Jesus is saying, don't you know this is not your life? Don't you know that this is what I have for you? Oh, how did this get in here? This is one of my son's toys. No, no, no. So this is, this is what life is like in God's kingdom, where he's saying, I have more than enough for you in abundance. And this is kind of heavy. And so we have to, we're like weighed down by this abundance we're weighed down because when we seek after God's kingdom, he provides more than enough. And like I said, sometimes it doesn't look like what we expect, but we can very surely count on the fact that his presence is in abundance for us. His peace, his joy, his contentment, that in his kingdom, this is what it looks like. And so what, what do we do when we see this? We don't respond by worrying. We respond by gratitude. Because we see what we have and we cannot help but share and give it away. Because that's what the kingdom of God looks like. And at the end of a Thanksgiving meal at my mom's house, we spend a lot of the time packing up what's left of the meal and sending it home. Because we don't want people to miss out on such a rich meal for people to eat it for days and days to come. So too with God's kingdom, when we experience his fullness and his abundance, we cannot help but share it. We respond with gratitude, and we cannot help but be generous 
and give freely. Our eyes are fixed up and around at where God would want to use us to be a blessing to others instead of being preoccupied with worry. But are we sure that this is what God's kingdom looks like and not this? So back to the pumpkin pancake story. I've been told that those who are achievers and are driven by success, it's because deep down, we believe that maybe we're not really loved for who we are, but for what we do. We see our lives as this empty bowl, and so we have to fill our lives with achievements and accomplishments to garner ourselves out of self-protection, and maybe if I just fill this up with all these accomplishments, then I will be something to someone. But God is saying, oh, I love you in abundance, and you are enough because I am. And I love you deeply, and you don't have to prove yourself to me. You don't have to be perfect. You don't need all these accomplishments to garner yourself so that people will love you. I love you because you're you, and I created you. And we can respond then, instead of focusing on pumpkin pancakes and getting them perfect, we can respond out of a generous, self-giving love that is what the kingdom of God looks like. We can open our eyes and look around and see who else needs this kind of love that needs to be shared. We can relinquish control and open our hands and surrender because the kingdom of God and his righteousness looks like a relentless search to give away. A relentless search out of self-giving, self-sacrificial love because we know that whatever we give away, God is always going to just replenish right back. He and his goodness will always fill us with what we need. But you have to know and you have to ask this question, what do I really see when I look at my life? When I'm worried, when I'm afraid, do I see God and his abundance like this? Or do I see my lives like this? And how does that impact what I seek? And we're going to watch a story that helps us to get into the sense of what life could look like, even in the midst of scarcity, what it might look like to actually see God's abundance in the midst of it. Let's watch this.
Jaden, it's time to go.
it's a bit of air taking that slowly forced air away in the barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them and you're not much more valuable than they who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life Should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and hope?
I don't know what your story is, but I'm betting that there are a lot of us in this room who've come in and we're in that holding place between praying and longing for God to provide and actually seeing that provision. And my hope and my prayer for you is that you can imagine Jesus behind the kitchen whipping up an amazing meal and that he would give you tastes of his appetizer and a fragrance of what is to come whether on this earth or on the earth to come and that in the midst of your angst that you could open your eyes to see how he might want to provide even in different ways than what you might be looking for ways that he might actually want to provide his presence and his intimacy and his love for you ways that he might be causing you to hunger for him in the midst of hungering for something else. And maybe he's providing through community and the people around you who love you and are caring for you in this season. And I know as we anticipate Christmas, there are a lot of things that will cause us to worry. Am I going to have enough to provide for my family? Am I going to get the right gifts for the right people? Am I going to have to endure that relational stress and conflict that always seems to come around this year? And we can be distracted, and it can lead us to think about things that really have nothing to do with what Christmas was about. What if we truly saw Jesus as our portion, and we remembered what Christmas was about? That Jesus himself came so low and took on flesh that we might know him. And experience his presence in the midst of a suffering and a broken world. Could we, in the midst of our fear and anxiety, take that to him and allow him to be our portion? Because we know that if his eye is on the sparrow, he's watching over us too. We want to give you an invitation as this next song plays. We have these bird feeders on the sides here that are filled with these packages of bird seed. And as this next song plays, I just want you to think about what's an area of your life where you maybe feel empty. 
or worried or in longing for something? And how might God want to provide for you? And whenever you want, while the song is playing, you can come up and get one of these packages of bird seed. I'd encourage you to just hold it and think about and even pray and surrender to God what it is that you're worried about. And trust that he is a good provider who will give abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And when you get home, I want you to put it in a place that you'll remember. Maybe it's a place that you feel the most anxiety, whether it's your desk, at home, or someplace in your house, or at work, as a reminder of God the Father being a good master to you who provides in abundance. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that even when we don't see it with our eyes, that you are always providing something for us. You're providing your goodness, your presence, your peace. And I pray, Lord, especially for those who are hungry today, who are longing and angst, who've been fearful and worried and afraid, that you would help them to see something different in their reality that you would help them to see you in the midst of their pain and their longing, that you would give them hope. So, Lord, meet us in this space and meet us in this time. Amen.